Yo, what's up, everyone? Welcome to this latest episode of Critical Thinking Bug Bounty Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Justin Gardner, and co-host Joel Margolis is currently not here today, so we brought on a great guest, Corbin Leo, amazing hacker, wonderful methodology, so I think you'll really enjoy what he's got to say this episode. Um, but before we dive into it, I wanted to ask you to head over to criticalthinkingpodcast.io and subscribe to our newsletter. Um, what that's going to do is it's going to give you access to uh, a text version of the content that we've been producing here, produced by none other than Jesse Rivera himself. Um, so during the nice little intro song that we've got here, pull out your phone, head over to criticalthinkingpodcast.io and drop a subscribe. Hope you enjoy the episode. Yo, yo, yo. Welcome to the pod, Corbin. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Thanks for stepping in last some... minute. Yeah. We, had, uh, <laughs> no worries. we had Joel disappear on us this week. He had some family stuff coming up. So I texted Corbin yesterday at like 9 p.m. Be like, yo, can you get on the pod tomorrow morning? So appreciate you stepping in, man. Mm -hmm. Of course. All right. Um, so I've got a bunch of questions for you. And uh, I hope, did you, did you grab a report by the way? Yeah, I have one in mind. Okay, cool. Nice. I was gonna, I was gonna go to my, my uh, collaboration stuff and see if we could find one uh, that we worked on together. But um, yeah, if you've got one that works too. Um, okay, so first let's go ahead and do the news section. So how this works, Corbin, is we, we first we do the news and then mm. I ask you a bunch of questions that I've got in the doc about your life and your hacker <laughs> hacker vibes. But since we've got no Joel today, you're stepping in and you're doing the yep. news with us. Um, alrighty. So first thing that I had on the list here, and this is pretty cool. Um, I really, I, I really like just DNS rebinding as a, as a concept. Um, but there was an article that came out earlier this week called state of DNS rebinding in 2023. Um, and actually I think it got re released. Uh, actually about a month ago now, but it just came across my feed. This was by uh, an NCC group. And um, essentially, it's it's exactly what it sounds like, a state of DNS rebinding um, article. And it talks about all of the different um, sort of restrictions that they have in the space. Um, there's local network requests, which is a uh, sort of a new restriction um, that's coming in, into place. Unfortunately, like in this upcoming version of Chrome, we're about to lose mm -hmm. access to a bunch of local network stuff. Um, sure. Yeah. Uh, but it's, it's uh, just to sort of summarize it, it's going to start, there's going to be some core stuff that's going to start coming in uh, into play on local, local um, network access. And uh, this is already in what is called a... Um, Chrome depreciation trial, um, which essentially allows for us to have a developer token um, that you request if you still need this feature um, so that they can still like sort of gradually roll it out and not break everything. Mm -hmm. um, so that was something I'd never heard of before and I thought was pretty interesting. Um, let's see, what else is there here? Um, 
Yeah. Good thing okay. all these bug bounty programs aren't outdated versions of Chrome still, right? Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> yeah, they, ten versions behind. They still, they still have like, uh, you know, a lot of times that what you run into in, in those sort of situations is like super mega old Chromes, and that becomes the problem, right? Is like, yeah, oh man, yeah, how do I old. hack this thing that doesn't have any of the features I've been used to for the past, you know, six or seven versions? Um, let me see what else I had here on the notes. So yeah, this is something that we talked about when we did the episode um, on. Uh, rebind multi-A, um, and uh, that is that Chrome can, there is a rebind that you can do do in Chrome that's instant with, with using a, a, a record um, that has multiple IP addresses that it resolves to, um, and that can rebind only to, local, or only to 0.0.0.0, .0, .0, which is like sort of a private IP address. I mean, technically mm -hmm. you can access local services, but it's not necessarily... Um, specifically a, a loopback or local IP address space. So mm -hmm. there's a um, there's a Chrome um, issue that we'll link in the description, um, saying specifically you know tracking that specific vulnerability. But as of right now, the takeaways from that article are that you can still attack surfaces on 0.0.0.0 using Singularity or my uh, DNS rebinding tool. And then the other thing that I I didn't know was that um, the WebSocket port scanner still works. So you can still do timing attacks against local um, uh, services and, mm, and yeah. services on the local network using a WebSocket port scanner, which I thought was pretty rad. That's cool. Makes sense. Yep. Um, let's see what else we got here. Um, yeah, so let's see. Douglas, Douglas Day, uh, Archangel D-Day is his Twitter handle posted a uh, a twitter thread which i know corvin loves right <laughs> it's been a while <laughs> yeah yeah um and he dropped 100 very short bug bounty rules and i think at the end of the tweet he kind of linked to uh ryan holiday tweet um where he got that sort of uh flow from but this is a really cool um tweet that has a bunch of really nice advice for uh, what you would do if, if you were, you know, a hundred different rules for bug bounty and what kind of stuff you should try to approach. Um, so I figured let's go ahead and, and take a peek at these real quick, uh, Corbin and, and read through some of these and, and give these a talk. So, um, one of the ones that popped out to me was, uh, give yourself a no bug limit. I do three hours. So he said that like, if you don't find a bug within three hours on a specific part of the tar topic or target, you you move along. What do you, what do you think about that, man? I mean, I think that's I think that makes sense. I mean, I don't think I'd <laughs> I don't do three hours. <laughs> Maybe oh, really? I should, but it's just like okay, I'm kind of sick of looking at this. I'm gonna go look at something else. So you move along pretty quickly. Yeah, I move on decently decently quickly. Okay, gotcha. Especially and, when it's like a really big app. If it's yeah. bigger, then it's like okay, I don't see anything. I don't know. I tend to, like some people do more of like the pen tester methodology where it's like, okay, I'm going to test this specific thing for literally everything. Whereas it's like, okay, I'm going to like just check out the different functionality and then I'm going to like, I don't know, go where like my spidey senses like are tingling in one area. So like I'm going to go look at this and then, okay, yeah. I don't see anything here and I just kind of do that. I, f I feel like you have a pretty strong hacker spidey sense, which I think, you know, we'll, <laughs> we'll touch on a little bit later in the flow, but I'm definitely interested in trying to trying to crack that nut a little bit because when I read through your threads, 
And just when I've seen you, you know, at the live hacking events and such, I feel like you find bugs that are pretty different from what I find. So mm-hmm. I think our, our, our methodology sort of deviates a little bit there and yeah. you're a little bit, a little bit more recon heavy, which is cool. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see what else we got here. Oh, okay. So this is another one that I thought was pretty cool. Uh, 24, uh, it says six, six, one K mediums pay more than one five K crit. Don't ignore any bugs. And I think this one is kind of like once, cause there, there's a certain brand of hacker that just kind of only reports highs in crits and that's great. <laughs> But I totally agree with, with Douglas here that there are a lot of people, and even ignoring lows, I think is, is a mistake because one, that's value you could have in your pocket. And two, if the company is going to pay for it, it's something mm-hmm. that they want. It's something that they think would secure up their attack surface. So mm-hmm. I would say never, never don't report a bug that you think might be valid. Yeah, and no, I, I agree with that. I mean, there's sometimes, I guess it kind of depends. Um, like, if you find a stumble across medium or low bug, why would you not report it? Because it's just like, yeah, you might get mm-hmm. duped, but hey, if, like, there's a chance you're not, and I guess that's, like, free money. Um, but, yeah, then there's other people that just don't even look for mediums or anything, like, lower than that, too. Yeah. But, I don't know. I feel know, like I, I stumble across, across mediums or lows when I'm looking for higher impact bugs. Yeah, same here. Like, <laughs> that's, that's the kind of thing that I, I like, you know, when I'm – and I, I've talked about this on our on our episode. Um, I'll have to pull it up right here. Um, the episode where we talk about how to find a good program, episode 13. Um, I kind of talk about this. You know, whenever I'm choosing a program, I always try to pick a program that has good payments for lows and mediums as well. Mm-hmm. Because as you're going after those highs and crits, you're always going to stumble upon the lows and yep. the mediums. And exactly. it's just nice to, to have a good, consistent you know, mm-hmm. influx of bounties coming in to keep you motivated and to keep your, you know, wallet full if you're a full-time bike bounty hunter. Yep, exactly. And I think, like, the the inverse of this problem, too, is, like, when you're only looking for, like, lows and mediums, um, and all people who, like, I, I guess I don't know, if, like, anyone specifically who does that, but, mm-hmm. um, I mean, I guess that's a, a mistake, too, is, I, I guess that might just be, like, Well, I think that's like a, a beginner thing newer. as well. Yeah, you I know? think it's just a beginner thing, too, is trying to, like, crack to find, like, bigger and bigger things, um, so. yeah. Yeah, I, I think it. I think it. I, I think it can. I think it can go. You know, if if you're just not dreaming big enough in your attack vector mentality mm-hmm. as well. Like if you're yeah. never thinking. Like for example, I I very rarely, I used to very rarely look for, um, uh, arbitrary account takeover, right? Because mm-hmm. I was like, this bug is just kind of like a myth, right? Like does yeah. this really exist though? Yeah. And then like you know, I see you and. Uh, OXACV and some of the other hackers out there that just kind of have a, a, a different mentality start popping some of this stuff at live hacking events. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> wow. Literally, OXACV, I like, I, I love it, man. He literally, I think you know the one I'm talking about. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. That one was actually insane. That was yeah, absurd. And it was just I like, thought that like, couldn't be done. Like literally 15-year legacy code where yeah. he popped an arbitrary account takeover just because it was like a it was like a string contains bug rather than a string equals bug which is crazy um so that one was yeah that one blew my mind (laughs) i think keeping keeping the attack vector mentality high is another Mm -hmm. really good solid tip well yeah and also don't like put restrictions on ideas before Mm -hmm. you try it too it's like oh there's no way that could work it's like you'd be surprised by how much code is just like strung together yeah. With who knows what. Devs devs do crazy shit sometimes. Yeah, they really do. Exactly. 
and there's just weird services that interpret things differently. Like you never know. Yeah. So I knew I, I know I kind of threw this on you last second here with the tweet, but you see any of these that, that stand out to you in particular? Um, let me see. I mean, I think, let's see. Uh, um, let's see, 36. You 36. find a bug that's out of scope. Like, this is a whole nother, this 36 you could talk about so much more too is like, what is it? 36 if... It's, if you find a bug that's out of scope, still ask the customer if they care. Mm, um, mm. I've, I don't know, that's a really tough, tough one because like there's obviously reasons you have scope sections in, you know, like programs have scope sections. You don't want them hacking, you know, like third party. Um, obviously, there's like, you might have to find an RC on something, but like it, it's contained as a sandbox. It has like access to nothing. Sure, sure, sure. There's plenty of still like out of scope things that have like an insane impact that like the customer might not know about too. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I've had yeah, cases so, of so that. you say don't ask the customer if they care, just submit the bug, or what do you what are you saying? Not necessarily. It's like I don't know. It's it's really difficult because um, like you shouldn't just go like hacking out of scope stuff just for the sake of hacking out of scope stuff. Um, but at the same time, I don't know. I don't want to get into this. I feel and, like, like you do that, Corbin. Going, like yeah, I mean, there's lots of times I've had some pretty good bugs by going. A bit out of scope and and to be fair it's a program that has like that has had a, a vip section where they mm. have only a certain number sure. of assets sure. that are in scope for the vip pain program they also have a vdp mm-hmm. so like mm-hmm. with that that program um it's a lot easier to do this um but i've had like instances of like a, a domain that isn't even related to that company um and it was actually it turns out to, it was owned by them um but it was somehow linked to this like one asset this like production database of all their like customers and it was like um, this huge like information leakage uh, that Dang. was by some like it was way out of scope. I don't even think it was listed in their like VDP program, but it was still owned by Oof. them. Oof. Um, and so like that one was paid for their max, uh, like a max crit inside their VIP program, even though it wasn't even like listed in scope. Wow. Um, but then VIP. I've also had like um, another companies all have like internal host names that they use for networking, you know, inside like Kubernetes pods, just within their like corporate network. Mm-hmm. Um, and there'll be times that there's like assets that are still on the internet with like SSL certificates linked to those and you can still hit those. And like, yeah. there's like vulnerabilities on those apps that like, okay, it's not listed in scope, but Hey, this is like really bad. This is like internal like infrastructure. There's like lots of like sensitive information. I don't know. You can find like yeah. bugs in these apps that where it's like really bad and they still yeah. care about that. I feel like it's that's just, kind like, of crazy, that. you know, right? Because like, if they list something and you never really know for sure, unless you know, unless you're internal, but if they list something like, okay, WWW is in scope and WWW is just reverse proxy to this backend, you know, um, API Mm -hmm. that they have that is on a different domain. And so literally everything that WW, every piece of functionality that WWW has, um, you know, is getting routed through this, this API, but mm-hmm. that backend piece, if you access it directly, it's not in scope. That doesn't really make any sense. Yeah. It's so. like, yeah. Like example.com forward slash API is actually just reverse proxying the API dot example.com. Exactly. That's not listed in scope. And it's just like, I don't know. It gets, it gets weird. It does get weird. It does get weird fast there. I think, um, and, and I think one other one that just popped out to me and then we'll move along to the next, next little thing here is, um, <clears throat> if an app is number 28, 
If an app uses UUIDs, you can still look for IDORs, just set AC to high. And I think this is one of one of the the mistakes that I made early on is not realizing that. Is, is that, you know, some programs will say, hey, UUID IDORs aren't going to be a thing, but um, that's literally what the attack complexity high metric was made for. Is like, hey, there's some piece of this attack that requires some some state to be um, some the application to be in some state or some piece of information that I don't know, but it's reasonable for me to get. And so, um, you know, these these sort of IDs in these IDOR scenarios aren't really being treated as sensitive information. And so, um, it's definitely I think falls within the scope of AC yeah. access control high to, well, to report like that. To be fair, I wouldn't really even call it. I don't know if I'd call it an IDOR if I just call it like an access control bug. Oh, really? Um, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe not. I mean, I guess it is still, I guess, an IDOR. I just yeah. think like when people think of IDORs, because that means like you're still, yeah, and, and you're just referencing another object. But I mean, yeah. like, I don't know. I guess with a lot of programs, um, like a lot of people just when they think of IDOR, they think it's like, okay, I can just like increment, decrement a number. Um, and sometimes like I've had success where I just say like, Hey, it's an access control bug and it kind of clicks for them because they're like, Oh wait, you can't just easily get this, I this like UUID, but like you can find ways right. to leak it still. Um, so, and you're like, still shouldn't be able to access it. So sometimes just like framing it, like access control issue or like lack of like access control or something like that. It's just like an easier way to present it to someone who might, you know, just not. Yeah. Yeah, not not get the full do. the full picture for sure. Yeah, and that kind of goes into like forty one when it just says like spend the extra time making your report look or read nice, and just mm. write well, write clearly. because yeah. um, I mean this whole thing's about communication. So funny you should mention that, Corbin, because <laughs> I have on my list of notes about you know about you when I did my little you know OS int on Corbin before this episode. <laughs> I I one of the things that really stood out to me a lot is your your propensity for storytelling and writing um mm -hmm. and combining that with hacking um and so um tell you tell you what let's finish the news section and then i'll yep, come yep, i'll yep. come back to that real quick okay no worries. <laughs> real, real quick so definitely check out that that tweet by um arching art it's arc angle arch <laughs> say, please say it for me corbin please like archangel archangel arc, thank you archangel. i couldn't say arc ang angle arc arc angle arch we're getting into angel getting into math <laughs> Jeez, sorry uh, sorry you know like fast. i get that um arch arc archangel d-day is his, his handle on twitter go check it out it's a great great tweet okay um next one that i wanted to talk about was um the service called Talkback. Um, this is actually put out by LTAM, uh, one of the, the companies that we mentioned uh, before on the pod. And this is just a news aggregator for um, cybersecurity related, oh. InfoSec related content. And I've just got this favorited and I'll pop this open every couple of days and just kind of scroll through the last couple of days of, really cool. of, of news. Um, I just wanted to throw that out there because it seems like a pretty good resource. Um, it's not necessarily... Yeah, I've never seen this before. Yeah, it, it, it's pretty... I don't think it's caught on as much, so I'm hoping that people will start using it a little bit more. Mm -hmm. And um, and yeah, it's not necessarily bug bounty oriented, um, but it is you know infosec oriented. So for those of you that have a little bit broader horizon than just bug, bug bounty, um, that's a good place to look. Um, let's see. Uh, last thing on the news item for today was... Um, PyPy uh, just released recently that they are going to uh, enforce mandatory 2FA for all software publishers. And I think this is a great idea. 
Um, I think that uh, this is something that should have been implemented a while back, and I think this will really help with the whole. Um, it's not necessarily Supply dependency. Chain yeah, exactly. Supply chain yep. attacks. Not necessarily dependency confusion, but it's like a scenario mm -hmm. where you can take over the account of a person that has um, done, you know, is the author of a certain PyPy library. Um, so I think 2FA on this is really going to make a difference. Yeah, that'll be huge. From just like even attacks where, you know, like someone self engineers a domain registrar. Yeah. Um, that happens. Yeah, so this is. Oh. All sorts of other things besides that too, but that's a really good idea. Yeah, surprised that wasn't. Yeah, would be huge. Yeah, I, I'm surprised it wasn't uh, implemented before either. That that definitely seems like a no-brainer thing. But I I, I do <laughs> wonder what's going to happen if they don't have that. You know, like for example, if if somebody just doesn't update their two FA and they just never log into their PyPy account, are they going to prevent them from like pushing updates to it or mm -hmm. you know something like that? Could be yeah. could be interesting to see. Yeah, it would be very interesting. I wonder if does NPM do this at all? I don't. I don't. I, I don't know. I I feel like they should. I'd be very. Yeah. I feel like yeah, they definitely should. Yeah, I think it's not mandatory. Um, but it is something that you can configure. See, and I yeah. I'm glad PyPy has sort of taken the first step and moving in that direction, kind of setting the industry standard. Yeah. You know, my my beloved language, Python, just happens to be just doing everything right. So I love <laughs> love love to see that. <laughs> Um, uh, good old Python, dude. I love it, man. I really do. I still, I still write Python every day. It's, it's the best. Um, okay, so news section done. Corbin Over. switches from co-host to guest. Um, so, man, we've been hacking together for probably Long five time. years at this point. Um, mm -hmm. And I don't know that I've ever heard the whole like, how did you get into bug bounty story uh mm. you know i i know we've run into each other at live hacking events but like you my backstory is tommy tommy devos just rolled into my you know cybersecurity class and just started teaching about bug bounty randomly yeah. um without even being invited to the best of my knowledge uh, oh that's so funny i know he just showed up one day and i was like uh, uh hello um, <laughs> but yeah what's what's yours how did you hear about bug bounty and and uh, uh. that whole industry well, I didn't know. I had gotten into like hacking when I was a freshman in high mm -hmm. school, um, but I didn't know bug bounty was a thing or that you could even do ethical legal hacking until I was a junior in high school. Okay. Um, and I had I was on Twitter and I saw someone's tweet. I think it might have been Tommy too. I think oh, he tweeted really? like, "Yeah, oh I was awarded ten thousand dollars." Why is he such um, everyone's for... origin story? <laughs> yeah, and so he was like. He, someone, I think he tweeted out like a big bounty amount that he got from like Yahoo or something. Sure. I was like, what? Like As that's a lot does. of money. He did this for what? <laughs> and so mm -hmm. then, like, I clicked on the link that was in the in the tweet, and then I like came across Hacker One. I'm like, whoa, you can get paid to report vulnerabilities. Mm. So, I signed up for Hacker One and gave it a test. Um, it was a struggle at first. I thought I was like a god at hacking. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah. That, that's something that'll humble you really quickly. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, then I started doing bug bounties, kept after it, and yeah, here I am. Okay, so so you literally, I mean, you didn't really know any other in-person bug bounty hunters. You just kind of found it on Twitter and then kind of rolled yep. into it. Yep, I had no idea about what, what it was. So, like, I, I think I followed Tommy on Twitter. Um, I found some other, like, bug bounty hunters on Twitter and just, like, started following them. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just signed up for HackerOne. I read through some, like, 
I looked I, I, I like there's no hacker 101 at that hack- point either you know no there wasn't no there wasn't yeah. that there wasn't any like pen tester i don't think there was like pen tester lab or like any of those like courses and stuff so like i had taught myself to hack before that um a lot of going through like exploit db stuff oh yeah <laughs> and then, the classics yeah and then um a lot of just like reading tutorials and like reading people's like twitter posts blogs um, then just like trying through trial and error. So nice. I spent so, a lot of time on like the DOD program. Yeah. When I first started. I mean, I started on like public programs and tried to do like bug bounties. And then like, I just failed miserably. Mm. Um, so I tried like the department of defense and I got like tons of dupes from that, but it was like a really oh, yeah. good experience in, in practicing. It's so funny, um, man. I, I think I'm getting <laughs> notifications right now from like four years ago that of them closing bugs that I reported four years ago. Yeah. And I'm like, on one hand, yeah. like that's kind of impressive that you're actually still tracking this bug. Yeah. But on the other hand, like why wow. four years? Yeah. Like, please. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, do you endorse the, the DOD VDP to bug bounty, you know, as sort of like a training ground for actual bug bounty for like you receive a bounty bug bounty, um methodology or would you do it differently if you went back would i do it differently than what i did like originally yeah i mean just say so if you were advising (sighs) someone to start now would you say go ahead and start on the the dod program or would you say you know try to just go and go straight after bug bounty i mean that's a hard one i would say i don't think you can go wrong with either i mean it took me 10 months to get my first bounty but that was okay mm. for me because like I was a high schooler, yeah. I was just doing it in my free time, like right. doing school. It's kind of just hacking for fun. Um, so I mean, like if you have prior experience, it, yeah. Like for me, I didn't have tons of like I didn't have as in high school, didn't have that much experience with computers. Um, sure, hacking sure. didn't have like so. I feel like you already work as like security engineer. You have some pretty solid fundamentals. I mean, why would you not just go for, um, go for just any like normal okay. bug bounty program? I think gotcha. for people who are wanting to work on like fundamentals, um, just all that jazz, I would say like work on recon, all that, um, just get a very good, like solid understanding of different vulnerability classes, different technologies and stuff. I'd say go for the department of defense because they have all sorts of stuff. Yeah. Um, they do have a lot of different stacks and I think also you can see your origin, uh, you know, a little bit clearly in your current <laughs> attack vector methodology yeah. because you know like you, you almost have sort of like a like a jason haddix ish flow of like all right i'm gonna do x amount of recon and i'm gonna find like these weird you know aspx yeah. endpoints that are like no one ever thought was real yeah you know in and, and and it's not necessarily like um and you know don't get me wrong i've seen you you pwn new companies and old companies alike but um you know i feel like the DOD having such a wide scope, having such an array of technologies mm. and being a little bit more outdated sort of led you down the path to being, you know, focusing really hard on recon and having that be mm. a key part of your methodology. Would you agree with yep. that? Yeah. Yep. I'd say that. And then hacking a lot with like NAFI. NAFI oh, yeah. like That'll mentored me a ton. So like, yeah, I have a lot of like NAFI like mentality when it comes to like infrastructure and stuff like that too. Um, so Yes. <laughs> any any tidbits on that you want to share? I think Nafi is an interesting character, and we'll probably have him on the pod at some point. But his sure. hacking methodology is definitely um, pretty pretty different from a lot of what I've seen. Yeah. No. He he finds apps that no one would have ever found. 
and mm. just completely destroys them once he's found them. That's yeah. what I love about it. It's like okay, just like you make your you make new opportunities for yourself, and then yeah. So I mean, what does that entail? I mean, I don't want to give his away. I well, mean, okay, <laughs> well, it's yours now too. I remember. Hold on, I remember this deal though uh, that you had with Naffy a while back. And and if we have to cut this section, we can. But you know, there there was a deal that y'all made about Naffy working with you and him getting a certain uh-huh. percent of your bounty, and, yeah, and you guys were yeah. working at a life hacking event together. Yeah. And that was like what? That was I think it was that. Nah, maybe it was that one. That was that was probably like four or five years ago, right? Twenty nineteen ish. Yeah, four I years think. ago. So yeah. I, I feel like so the four. I feel like the statute of limitations on that is up. I mean, you got. <laughs> I mean, if you don't want to dox your secrets, that's I mean, or dox your secrets, that's fine. You know, if you don't want to disclose all that, but, um, yeah, I, I, I just, I think it's really interesting. I know that uh, Nafi's approach is largely uh, virtual host enumeration based in a lot of scenarios, which is something mm-hmm. that not a lot of people poke at. And yeah. um, I think mapping out the in, internal routing um, on a company can result in some crazy stuff. So. No, oh, yeah, absolutely. Is that still yeah. a part of your methodology? Yeah, I look a lot at load balancers. I play a lot with load balancers and just like different ingress endpoints. And mm. I mean, the nice thing is like when you do it for a long time, you can kind of start noticing like how apps work. And then also just like if you've been in like software development or I guess um, architecture or whatever. I guess like if you have any, yeah, if you've ever played with like Kubernetes, um, set up like infrastructure on that, it's like you, you get a pretty solid understanding of just how, you know, how it's made, how everything works and um, you can start poking at stuff, so. Welcome to this episode of How It's Made with Corbin. How Leo. it's made. <laughs> um, and so, okay, so how how are you how are you identifying a load balancer? Is that are you just doing virtual host scans and seeing if multiple stuff pop up, and then assuming I mean, that that's a load balancer? The te- uh, it kind of depends on the technology, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, like with Amazon, you have like C names to like ELB. Mm-hmm. Um, nice. I mean, you can look at like you can look at headers, um, like response headers. We'll make it obvious there's what default. kind of stuff have you seen in response so just to well, break like, down what he just said just a second ago if there's a c name to a uh on a host to a um amazon uh endpoint that has elb in the in the domain name uh as a result of the c name then that's elastic load balancer and that's going to be clearly doing some load balancing right mm-hmm. and then you said in the response headers there's some stuff that might be might be there <clears throat> yep so like you'll see maybe like um, let's see, like, for instance, like with Kong, you'll see like a header that has like Kong in it and that's like an ingress. You'll see like oh, okay. Istio. So it'll, it'll yeah, disclose Envoy. the technology stack. So like it can, it can do that. Um, then there's other times where like headers aren't and then you'll just know like, um, default responses like backend not found or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. And then it's just like trying it on a few apps and seeing like if there's like, header like if um you can also just like um kind of think how like fuff fuff does or ff however you say it i hate i hate trying to pronounce this yeah if you like set um you can do like auto like how ff does it like auto calibration so you like send a couple http requests to different house headers see how it responds and if it varies like maybe you'll try um fuzzing there but Mm. nice yeah Yeah, it's it's tricky man I, i i definitely don't don't I started doing that a little bit uh, on some apps, uh, on some specific targets that I know mm-hmm. are vulnerable to it. And uh, yeah. 
it's it's not and i even tried to build some automation around it at some point starting mm. and this is something that i'll tell people that are building out the recon flows nowadays is like you know if you have a bunch of hosts that map you know those hosts are not necessarily only going to map to the IP addresses that they resolve to. So in your in your sort of recon framework, in your recon architecture, you should be um, building in this functionality that is going to be uh, allowing you to map domains to IP addresses, right? Um, and I think that that makes a big it makes a big difference because you can find, you know, different domains are accessible on different IP addresses than the things they resolve to, which could give you different access. You agree? Yeah, and I mean, like a lot of it. Yeah, a lot of it isn't, isn't even like v hosting too. It's just like okay, this um, this host name might point to like Akamai or some like IP that doesn't resolve, but like the chances are is that that IP might still be exposed, and it's just like mm -hmm. the way they're routing it is defined this way, but this host is still here, and you can just access it this way. So sure, nice. Um. um Solid. Okay. Well, that that's that's some good tips if you're if you're trying to to keep an eye out for the sort of mm -hmm. the host realm and enumerate some internal internal assets um, using that. Um, so you know you started off in Bug Bounty. Uh, you, you know you just signed up for the website. T mm -hmm. Took ten months to get your first bounty, and then you started yep. rolling. How did you land in the live hacking event circuit? Um, that's a good question. I think it was I. After I started getting more comfortable with bug bounties, I started looking at Yahoo. Mm, mm. Um, and so I started hacking on Yahoo a bit and had like some XXEs. I think I had like an XXE, a couple SSRFs. Um, and then I think my first event might have been, there was one in New York. Mm, yeah. And it was a team event. It's like the only team event. That was your with, first event? Yeah. I think it was my first event. Wow. I'm fairly sure. I guess we had worked together before then at at that point then because I I feel like I knew you at yeah. that at that point. Yeah, cuz I think like I knew I knew you, I knew Sam. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that I yeah. I'm pretty sure that I can't remember what other event would have been. Oh no. My first live hacking event. I was not a hacker. That's when I was triaging at Hacker One. That's right. Okay. Okay. Yep. Okay. Now it's starting to okay. get the, the picture a yep. little bit clearer. Yeah, it's making yeah making more sense to me. So I had been hacking on Yahoo for a bit, and then I had done a semester of college. Mm -hmm. Then I dropped out of college and was triaging at Hacker One for like six or seven. It's like seven, maybe. Maybe eight months. I think it was mm. less than that. Mm. Um, but I was triaging at one of the first, uh, or my first live event. I was the one of the Vegas events at 702. So I was doing triage there. That tracks. Um, and I'd already known people from like hacking with them as well. So yeah, that that definitely tracks. So yeah. th that's an interesting path. Like I feel, I feel. I, I've sort of recommended this to some of my friends that are trying to get into bug bounty and. Mm -hmm are also not necessarily in love with the fact that Bug Bounty doesn't have consistent income, is mm -hmm. that, hey, if you get started, you get rolling, you start understanding how vulns can be reproduced, and you start understanding, um, you know, it'll at a little bit more technical level, and you jump into a triage role, that can really boost your game. Um, yeah, I'd agree. You, you would agree with that? It definitely. Also helps you, like, learn even how to write better reports down the line. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, definitely, definitely... I would also recommend that to people who are um, 
yeah, on that, that boat. As an, as an ex-triager here, what, what, is, uh, what is some of the stuff that we do that's hella annoying from the, from the triager side? From the triage side, it would be like there's people who just write like, you just give you like the URL or they just like write the most basic report with like no information. Mm-hmm. And I think it's gotten a bit different. I don't know how like this is like four four or five years. This was a down. long. This was mm. five. This was in twenty eighteen. Yeah, yeah. So, so five years ago now. Math. Yeah. Yeah. Um. <laughs> so I think yeah, one of the biggest irks I guess was just like the lack of writing. Mm. Some, some people did they like just give you this. Mm. Um, give now, you a URL. Now, like at that point in words, time. Like, at that point in time, did you have to rewrite the report for the customer? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we had our own like internal templates and internal expectations of like what we had to write and provide. So like people would also write like 10 pages in that. <laughs> and then we had to condense that to like, we got to pick every, like the important parts out and give like a very clear, concise, like mm. reproduction. Here's the impact, like, stuff like that. Dude, Hacker for, like, One customers. needs to so start training. Hacker One needs to start training like their own offline, you know, model llm model to to be able to do that because that would be pretty nice to just be like okay um you know here's this like you know alex chapman 25 page Mm -hmm. report and and i need to condense this down to like you know a page or two for the customer that'd be that'd be pretty good yep or like a hacker one grammarly (laughs) yeah right that'd be really good i'm sure you can't use actual grammarly at at hacker one yeah probably not (laughs) yeah that makes sense. Yeah, that's one thing I said is like, it'd be really cool to have like a, a language model, um, like fine tuned to my specific writing style. I'd be, be amazing. For yeah. Well, you thing. can train it a little bit. I've done some of the stuff, um, for the pod, just sort of taking the writing that we've done, um, you know, with mm-hmm. descriptions and titles and stuff like that. And then it yeah. just takes the actual content of the podcast and then, you know, it says, all right, you know, here are six suggestions for the title or, you know, here are three different rewrites mm-hmm. of the description and stuff like that. And I think that just provides a nice little, um, you know, jump off point. And I, and I trained it with um, the previous, you know, titles and descriptions and stuff like yeah, that too. So yeah. it still has the same sort of voice and mm-hmm. that sort of thing. And I think, I think LLMs do a pretty good job of keeping the voice consistent across, um, you know, multiple bodies of mm-hmm. text. So that's pretty rad. Yeah. Um, Solid. Okay. Um, so I guess as you left triaging eight months, you know, max after you, after you started, why, mm-hmm. why did you do that? And, uh, how do you feel about the triager realm nowadays? Um, no, I, it was a good experience, but I was getting kind of burnt out of it. And, um, my parents wanted me to go back to school. They wanted me to go to college. Um, I didn't really want to go to college, but um, I was like, screw it. It's kind of fun just to, I guess, be a kid and not have responsibilities. Yeah, right? for sure. And so, um, yeah, I decided to transfer to a school out in South Dakota. And yeah, I mean, it was it was a good experience, um, but I'm really glad I went back to school, not necessarily just because like mm. I needed the education. Yeah. But it was just like a fun experience in general where I just got to meet nice. friends and have so, a good time. So, so you, you went, you grew up in, was it Minnesota? Yep, Minnesota. Minnesota. And then you went out of state. I went out of state to South Dakota. So South Dakota. For those yes. of you that are not in the U.S., though, South Dakota is like there. There's like there's nothing in South. Uh, there, there is. There's Mount Rushmore. I think is in part of yep, South Dakota. Yeah, it's on the West Rapid. But yeah. like, like 
South Dakota is like one of the least popular and populated states in in the yeah. U.S. So what made you yeah. move from Minnesota and instead of going out of state to any other state, what what made you yeah. land on South Dakota? Yeah, so it was I'm not trying to diss your, your 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 new state here. I'm just saying. No, know? I know, I know. <laughs> Got to provide the context. It's pretty unique. It's know? super, yeah, super super unique. And like whenever I tell someone I'm from South Dakota, yeah, I'm just like super confused. And yeah. like wait, and I think like North Dakota or oh, there's two Dakotas. Like yeah. where's that? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but um, yeah, so it was July when I decided I wanted to be done with um triaging, I believe. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I had thought about going to either a school in Minnesota. Um, but it was so late that mm, a lot of schools yeah. didn't have transfers open anymore. Mm-hmm. And so there, there was one school I'd heard of, um, in South Dakota that was known for cybersecurity for some reason. Oh, cool. Um, and, and that's not what I was going to go for. Like I went for mm-hmm. computer science, but I was like, Hey, these people like, at least will like hacking. Like I like hacking or at least I'll find some people that are at least interested in the same topic. Sure, sure. Um, and they had applications open super late. So I just like applied to transfer and they, yeah. They accepted got it. nice <laughs> yeah and then so then i just yeah went out there on a whim just kind of last second like why not i guess yeah still how, close how did, enough to home but also new and how, how did you enjoy that like i i feel like that's one of the things that i i don't really endorse nowadays is like going to college for the sake of going to college but i think lately my my opinions have been kind of coming back around of like you know, while you're young, you don't have to grind, 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 you know, uh, and, yeah. and, you know, go hard on the career stuff. You can actually just go and enjoy. And mm-hmm. college is, you know, a great place to meet other friends, participate mm-hmm. in club activities, that sort of thing. Yeah. So if you're still looking to grow as a person, college might be a good place to do it. Yeah, no, I would agree with that. I mean, it's hard too, because it's, I guess it can be expensive. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah, but, for sure. I mean, I, I definitely enjoyed it. I don't think... I liked like the computer science stuff. I didn't really, I don't think I ever needed like the education. I think it was as good. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't rely on it just to get to where you want to be. Mm-hmm. Um, like I would never just go through courses and expect, you know, to, to pop out. No, the exactly. Like, yeah. To, yeah. To like come out like, Oh yeah, I know everything. I'm ready for this. It's like, yeah. I think if you really want to learn or get get anything that you have to spend the time doing it yourself personally. Totally. Um, especially in the tech space is like things move so quickly and, technologies change um so yeah i mean i think if you want to grow as a person um meet some really great friends and just like really i guess enjoy your life like i I definitely would recommend college still because um i mean you have your entire life to to grind Mm. you might as well you know enjoy some time um going from that like you know younger younger like high schooler age where you think you're an adult but then you like finish college and you're like wow i'm a totally different person than i was back then yeah I think it's good for like I guess character development and personal yeah, development. Yeah, for sure, it, it definitely is, and and yeah, I think that is something that that I you know from an early age was also very career oriented, and so I think I think that having that extra you know time to to grow, figure out who you are, not a bad not a bad not a bad route, just to say the least. Well, yeah, and it gives you a lot of time to like um, I guess experiment with what you really want to do too, mm-hmm. right? So that's true. Um, like for instance, for me, like it gave me so much time to do bug bounties. Mm-hmm. And also, like, just, like, develop my skills in that. Like, you can learn, I guess, whatever you want. You have plenty of, like, free time to, you know, explore hobbies or, I guess, what you want to do with your life. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. So, I know I know you did, you just said you did comp sci as well, yeah? Yep. Yeah. Yep. So, I, I did comp sci as well. 
I have to say, you know, from a hacker perspective, I feel like a lot of the stuff that I learned in CopSci is it incredibly relevant. Like if I want to go and do software engineering and I want to like really optimize this algorithm and get like the, uh, you know, complexity down, you know, whatever, then it'd be really great to have computer science background. But a lot of, a lot of um, hacking isn't really about that. And it's more about understanding the full flow of everything. Right. And Mm -hmm. I think, I think that's why CompSci is better than a cybersecurity degree. Right. It's like, I don't think you don't really need, like that's that's why I'd always recommend like comp sci if someone doesn't know exactly what like they want to do because it's mm. just like it, it it lays down a very solid like baseline. Mm. Um, but again, it's like I don't think you even need a degree. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just more so as like I like if we're going to like talk about degrees and like getting one, I'd say computer science just because of like the fundamentals rather than like oh, we're just going to learn how to hack. And it's like, wait, you still need all these like, yeah. other like, fundamentals to get good at it, right? Yeah, now, so. I totally agree with that. I think I think it, unless you're going to a really like reputable cybersecurity institution, you know, then I think it may be better for you to focus specifically on mm-hmm. comp sci and then supplement yeah. with your own, um, you know, certificate-based training for, towards cybersecurity. But actually, Corbin, I, I'm going to, I'm going to, disagree with you on the on this one because i think personally this is the this is the hierarchy right here you've got mm-hmm. you've got a uh, cybersecurity degree you've got computer science degree and you've got computer engineering degree and i think okay, like yeah, okay all, yeah. okay so I, I think all of the people that i like for example joel and um sam herb and like some of the other really like just yeah, i feel yeah, like i okay. i talk to these guys and they're like yeah man i, I remember like you know, when I was desoldering this thing from this board in, in college, I'm like, what? Like, you know, yeah, and, my school didn't have computer engineering. Yeah, I, that would have been a fun. That would have been. Yeah. And I feel like even even the people that I met at my school that were doing computer engineering instead of computer science, I was like, man, these guys just have a little bit of a deeper understanding of like just like lower lower level concepts yeah. you know even and, lower yeah and and i think an even better baseline <laughs> yeah, exactly an even better baseline so i, I was going to say you know if people are going to go into college and get a degree i i think i would actually push computer engineering over comp sci or even cybersecurity. yeah i'd agree with that I, I don't disagree with that yeah that's good um okay getting back over over to the list over here um so I guess let's go, let's talk a little bit about your combination of uh, writing and hacking, right? So I know mm-hmm. we talked a little bit about sort of copywriting and like uh, just this whole concept of trying to develop yourself as a writer. Um, yeah. And then, you know, you kind of wrote all these Twitter threads that went mega viral mm-hmm. a while back. So any yeah. any tips or tricks to share with the hacker community about the importance of writing or how to write well as a hacker? Yeah, I mean... When I was writing those Twitter threads, I got so much flack from people about like, oh, you oversimplified this or like... Did you really? I got a lot... Oh, yeah. There was Jeez, lots of people man. that were like making fun of me or um, not necessarily making fun of me, just like give me crap or just saying, mm-hmm. oh, like, oh, did the intern write this? Like, um, like people were very... Um, Dang, dude. I don't know. I, I guess being... Uh, what's I don't even know what the word to describe that is. But yeah, that, that was totally fine with me because yeah. like that's not who I was writing for. Right. And so like you have all these people who write like these like immaculate, like technical um, writings as kind of just like a, I don't need to stroke my own ego and try to sound as technical as possible because like, okay, you write that you're making your audience. You're alienating and people them. who can understand that you're alienating. First off, you're a- yeah. alienating a huge audience and you're also only writing for like 
a really small number of people who might be on the same level as you. Yeah. And like my whole purpose of writing these Twitter threads were to, um, I guess, figure out how to explain things clearly and um yeah and simplify it too. reach a larger yeah. larger audience may get people interested in bug bounties get them interested in hacking yeah and like also have them still be able to like understand it and get like intrigued in it and maybe want to try and learn some of this right and um yeah and, and i think you didn't simplify it you know too much it's not like okay i went to yeah. you know the internet and found this directory you know it's like no here's the you know yeah. Here's the exact like subfinder command I used. Here's the exact mm -hmm. gal command I used. Yeah. Here's the H you know. Yeah. yeah, and and it's yep. like and so I think it's a really nice balance of like um, mm -hmm. technical content and storytelling, which is you know mm -hmm. until you've tried it, you don't really know how difficult it is because it's it's very challenging. Yeah, I I spent a lot of time writing those threads. Like I think the fastest one I wrote was like 55 minutes, um, which was like probably <laughs> maybe like a waste of time. But no, it was like really good to practice um, because it's such like technical writing, but still writing in a way that's intriguing and, you know, like, yeah, I, yeah, I think yeah, that's I a great, I think that's like, a great skill. I mean, being able mm -hmm. to captivate an audience is really powerful mm -hmm. and it's not something, yeah. it's not a skill that's, that's very commonly, you know, paired with a high level of technical ability. And so um, I think that's, you know, one of the, uh, one of the podcasts that I listen to on a regular basis is my first million. And it was talking about how yeah, okay. I, lo I love that pod. And um, yeah. one of the things that they've talked about just from a framework perspective is like, you don't have to be the best at hacking or the best at blockchain or the, the best at any of these other things. Mm -hmm. You just have to take, you know, a above average ability here and combine it with an above average ability over here. And now you've got a mixed skill set that's really unique and marketable. Yeah. And I think yep. your ability to do something like that um, with this writing is really, I, I think that's, that's amazing. Um, mm -hmm. So nice stuff there. And, and so, I mean, do you really largely credit Sampar's uh, copy this or whatever it is writing course? Copy that. Or copy that. Yeah, yeah. that course is really good. So yeah, that's, that's um, a big reason why, um, yeah, I, I took that course and then I wanted to try applying it to something pretty technical. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, that was, that was a pretty, yeah, it's a great course. I still go back and go through it. Um, or at least like pieces of it to kind of just like refine writing skills. Mm. Um, I think everyone should take a course on copywriting just because mm. it's like just writing effectively, I guess. Like you don't need to be super long winded. Um, yeah, I think it's, I think it's a good, a good course. Um, yeah. but at the same time, that's like, this is a problem I have with Twitter right now is that everyone's becoming marketed -y. Mark market it market marketery marketery. Yes. Okay. Where every, everything's like a marketing thread now. And it's like, you have to have this good combination of like effective writing, but I, I, like actual substance. Genuine right? content. Like, yeah. Yeah. Cause like I've seen so many like, Oh, bar just killed GPT four. Like, Oh my gosh. It's everywhere. Here's man. 10 prompts you can use. It's just like, all this noise of like, you don't really like everything's supposed to be like when everyone's doing the same thing, it's just, I don't know. Yeah. It's just so it gets like, to, it gets to be you're just being, yeah. Yeah. You can tell marketing material versus like, you know, actual substance material substance is still like 
captivating, I guess. Yeah, so. lots of lots of bloat out there, I think. And and yeah. so taking this this ability to do copywriting or uh, you know uh, effectually tell a story and convey and captivate mm-hmm. an audience and transporting this into report writing. So yeah. uh, you know, I, I, yes, I'm interesting that's... to see how I, I'm interesting to hear your opinion on how that's affected the severity of your reports. And I will just mm-hmm. before I let I let you answer that, I will say Nogli is a big proponent for this as well. And you you just you gotta I've collabed with Nogli on a couple of reports, and I'll write some stuff down. And he's like, no, 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 no. How do you ever no, get? No, 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 how do you exactly? Yes. No, 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 no. How do you ever? <laughs> how do you ever get critical reports when you write like this? And Nogli just kind of like rewrites it and like yeah. very strongly states everything. Yes, and I think that's yeah. one extreme as well, and it definitely works for him. But um, yeah. what what are your thoughts on you know the value of copywriting and and storytelling in the context of a technical report? Yeah, so like for me, I don't really do like it's not storytelling in my report. It's okay. like very technical, but oh, it's technical where it needs to be, right? So like the summary might not be as technical. Like okay, I found this bug. Blah, blah, blah. this is what it, it does this is i guess how it works and that's like pretty technical but like the summary and then the impact are not maybe like more like copywriting but it's just more just very clear straightforward to the point writing where it's like this is the impact this is what you can do xyz where you're listing explicitly why this is a critical and what your specific views are on that because like this is why I think um, I talked to someone about this or we had a whole like talk at um, I think it was one of the hacker advisory board meetings mm, yeah. about the impact section and the purpose of the impact section. People were like, oh, well, like it doesn't make sense to me because like I just write my impact in the summary. And I'm like, well, for me, in my impact section, like I'll write either like I'll just OK, maybe I'll have if I'm lazy, I'll just write basically what I had in the summary. Sure. Otherwise, like if it's like an actual a critical report, yeah. I will list out every single metric in the CVVS um, mm. uh, piece. Yeah. Yeah. Piece that I've like selected. And I'll explain mm. why I have it set to that and mm-hmm. why it should stay set as that. And then if the program disagrees with me, they'll at least have an exact, very clear response back of why they disagree or why that should be changed. And that leads, that helps a lot with like disagreements on severity um, big great I think great tip there i mean I, I rarely go to that level of detail mm-hmm. but in the times that i have it's really made those triage or misunderstandings that sometimes get your report downgraded or program mm-hmm. misunderstandings that sometimes get your report downgraded it's really minimized those so i'm actually mm-hmm. going to write yeah, myself exactly. a note right now to go in <laughs> and do that for the next live hacking event because especially when you're at the live hacking events and like reports are flying all over the place and triagers yeah. are noise, adjusting noise, stuff noise, and noise. you know yeah. it, it gets really it gets really tricky to have those you know complex cvss mm-hmm. conversations and if you provide justification for each metric that's the word we were looking for metric yeah metrics uh, thank you english um, yeah and, and and uh, if you write explanations for each one of those metrics, then I think it could really provide a lot of clarity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and it, it also like it forces the program to really to really like dive deep and like actually consider your report rather than like okay, yeah, we have this bug. Um, I don't know. It like really forces them to think through all the different aspects that maybe they haven't thought through before. So yeah, for sure. Um, solid. Uh, let's talk a little bit about more uh, about your hacking methodology. And then I also want to talk about some entrepreneurial pieces as well, because that's something okay. you and I have sort of bonded over <laughs> yep. being hackers yep. and entrepreneurs at the same time. So um, mm-hmm. that's something that, that I'd like to talk about as well. Um, so I guess 
just talking a little bit more about the recon flow, we touched on this a little bit earlier, but Mm -hmm. you know, you're going out there, you're doing recon. And this is a quote that we quote almost every episode. I love this quote from Jay Haddix. The whole point of recon is to find more applications to hack. Right. Mm -hmm. And so when do you stop and actually intentionally hack an application versus continuing to recon and, um, yeah, we'll, we'll break that question off there. Yeah. Cause that's a, that's a really hard, I think that's a hard skill to learn mm-hmm. for beginners is when to stop doing recon and when to start hacking. Cause mm-hmm. it's really easy to get into the like pattern of like, okay, I'm just gonna run subfinder. I'm gonna write F off and everything. Totally. Um, and just like keep finding until like maybe you like somehow find like a git directory on some host or something. Right. Like that. Right. 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 Um, so, um, I guess, it's pretty difficult um, mm-hmm. to define like what exactly will make me stop. But a lot of times it's just like intuition. Sure. So you see like I'm doing like directory brute forcing. Um, I've used like three word lists, not finding much. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, maybe I'll just like hop to the next host. Um, oh, I found an interesting directory on this. Or like maybe it's like um, like a React app on this like subdirectory. And then you can go through the JavaScript files and start actually hacking and doing like normal um actual like hacking your hacking methodology or sure, i guess sure. more like pen testing methodology i guess yeah um and then yeah it's just kind of just this like intuition flow that i have kind of nailed down um sometimes i'm lazy and it's like okay i don't i'm just gonna run ff on a bunch of different hosts and just do it that way or i can just do it in the background while i'm looking at something else well, too that was the follow-up question uh. to this was like okay so you know, you found a couple things and, or, you know, you found, you know, your, your 40 or 50 hosts you're going to assess and you, you go to each host and you kind of do smart FF instead of like normal FF where you, you go yeah. to the host, you know, you're not just brute forcing on slash, uh, you know, always, sometimes you're going to the yeah. host and you're saying, okay, well the index page redirects to slash, you know, dashboard, but then it gives an error mm-hmm. or something like that. So you actually brute force yeah. under slash dashboard. Um, yeah. It's not like, Oh, it's an images directory. I'm going to keep right. You know, something like you don't, you don't want to waste your, your bandwidth doing that. So, but like how yeah. many would you say, like, you know, you described two extremes there. You say you described, you know, finding a specific application and then just really mm-hmm. sort of going deep on that based off of your intuition. And you also described just sort of brute forcing everything. Um, mm-hmm. you know, where do you think the average sits like of like, all right, I'm normally brute forcing like three to four applications at a time or 10 or 20 or mm-hmm. one at a time. And really just reading mm-hmm. all the JavaScript files while it's running. Yeah. I typically just do one at a time. Really? Okay. Um, for the most That's part. Cool. Yeah. So I, I will, I, I, I think focus is also really important Yeah. and that's dangerous when you try to go after too many things at too many times, like yeah. you're just going to miss, miss things. So um, typically I can get a pretty good feel for, you know, like what I want to hack on. So it's like, I'll do my reconnaissance and, and it's kind of just this process of like filtering all this data down to like a single thing at a time. Um, mm. and so I will typically do recon until I find a host that's interesting. Then I'll do recon on that host. Mm. And so I'll do like directory brute forcing. If there's like a dashboard on it, then I'll start like reading through JavaScript files and just start like hacking it. Solid. Um, then when I'm sick of that single one, I'll go hop to something else. That's that's cool to hear because I, I did, definitely didn't see your methodology that way. I figured you'd be doing, you know, directory brute forcing across multiple hosts, you know, uh, 10, 20 hosts on a regular basis. But for you, and mm. I think this is something really cool to highlight with Corbin's methodology here, is that he's a, he's 
a little bit of a recon hacker, but he also is like sort of a deep recon hacker, right? Because mm -hmm. you're going you're going to a host, you're doing a lot of directory brute forcing, you're doing a lot of you know enumeration, but also you're doing that in a smart way. You know, you're reading the JavaScript yeah. files, you're you're t you know recursively brute forcing on folders you found, mm -hmm. that sort of thing, and and keeping your attention on one host, which I think is really I think mm -hmm. that's key. Yeah, or also like adjacent hosts as well. So like mm. JavaScript file might reference some other APIs yeah. and like working on those too because it's all a part of this like one um, That's bigger great like application. So, so you're, um, you're, you're taking, you know, you're breaking apart the JS file. You're saying, okay, these are the adjacent hosts to this, the hosts that work on this specific mm -hmm. or that power this specific website and you're using, yeah. you know, text from the other page, using references from that JS file to enumerate yep. stuff on the APIs as well. Yep, exactly. Yeah, and so that's that's pretty huge too because there will be so many like API endpoints you'll never be able to guess. Yeah, without you know all this other like contextual all these all these other contextual pieces. So man, I got I got to find this yeah. uh, this tweet from from you. I, I I was just reading through um some of your tweets that you that you put out uh previously and and it, it was like oh here it is right here I'll I'll link it to you hold on uh I'll, I'm gonna send it to you in Discord. Uh, scroll down and we'll put this tweet in the description as well. This is Corbin's um. Corbin's tweet on hacking the military, um, but scroll down to like, scroll down to like the fourth or no, it's the third tweet, and it says, yeah. After reading the JS files in directory reinforcing, I came across this endpoint: squirm two thousand four upload course.aspx, and I'm like, what do you, what do you, what is that? Was that yeah. your brute forcing? Yep. Like, no. How did you? Nope. So, but you got that ASPX file from reading the the JS file, and then I guess maybe you found the full path by like brute forcing some directories and such yeah and so like i one thing that i do that i don't know if anyone else does is um i'll find a like a directory called like javascript mm -hmm. and i'll just i'll brute force for javascript files mm -hmm. um that's big so um i've done that and also i've tried to find css files because sometimes i'll do like import like image from like this and it'll be like some like super long directory that mm -hmm. like you might not be able to find mm. but yeah i think i was i, I was brute forcing through four JavaScript files and I I had like come across a new directory with like JavaScript files and I brute forced some in there. Um, then I, that's when I came across that um, ASPX file. Nice. So you, you actually brute forced for the JS files, which led you to mm -hmm. this more complex ASPX endpoint. Yep. Yep. So it's like going through JavaScript files to find some endpoints and then brute forcing those. And then in one of those, there's like a reference to that. So. Nice. That's a great takeaway. Yeah. I like that. Um, <laughs> Nice man. Um, well, that's so. We're we're at about an hour now. Um, I did have one other sort of status of yours that or um, uh, post of yours that I wanted to look at. Um, you know what? But I think we're gonna save this one for for a different time because I did want to follow up on some entrepreneurial stuff as well. So currently, so okay, a couple a couple months back, you announced breachless AI, and mm, I kind of want to yeah. I kind of want to hear about some lessons learned from that. Cause it seems like you pivoted over to boring mattress co now, which I also, <laughs> I, I love and I'll, I'll hold up my, my phone for the YouTube yeah. video. I've got boring mattress yes. co on the back of my phone and I've actually yes. had a couple <laughs> people ask me about it already. So you're getting free marketing yeah. off of this. Yes. Thank you. Um, thank you. But, uh, you know, what happened to breachlist.ai and what, what kind of lessons did you learn from that? Yeah. So I'll first introduce um, it too, cause people may not know. Yeah. Yeah, so breachless. The idea behind that was that I was going to use um, artificial artificial intelligence. Artificial intelligence. Artificial intelligence to um, basically the idea was to do analysis of incoming emails 
um, and adding, um, well, to take a step behind, mm-hmm. the current state was like, it was to help prevent social engineering attacks, mm-hmm. right? And so, like, you have companies like No Before, um, mm-hmm. like, all these different companies that are doing these, uh, what are they called? So, uh, security awareness trainings. Yeah, yeah, Um, And so, it's like, you force uh, employees to go through really boring, outdated videos that are, like, 20 years old, or they're just, like, really, like, irrelevant to, like, the average person. Sure. Like, a hacker might think, oh, wow, these are, like, really funny, these are really cool, and then you have your like, average Joe's, like, this is the stupidest thing I've ever had to watch, what if to watch this? <laughs> Um, and the problem, too, is, like, okay, yeah, you watch the video four times a year and you never remember it in the moment. And so my idea was to add um, context to uh, actual emails in, like, the form of a banner mm. to help uh, people identify social engineering um, attacks or potential social engineering attacks um, just, like, right in each email. Um, and so that was the idea there. Um, it didn't go very far. I had I actually had a pretty sizable wait list Mm -hmm. i think i had like 200 to 300 nice dude companies on that wait list that's a lot actually yeah yeah it was it was actually it was actually pretty decent there's some pretty like decent sized companies on that um but what made me move away from it was i wanted to bootstrap the company Mm. i didn't want to raise um venture capital yeah and um it was also a pretty crowded space just phishing, anti-phishing stuff? Yeah, just like email security stuff. I don't think that necessarily should have like maybe turned me away so much, mm-hmm. but I think the biggest issue was um, the requirements for a lot of companies have for like SOC 2 audits. So, oh, what is um, that? It's like basically companies, um, when they want to use, oh, let's see, like I don't want to mess it up. Sure. And I, some, like, while you're looking that it's up. Like a, it's like a compliance, it's like a, a compliance standard, mm. um, which is like how organizations manage like data. Yeah. And so like you have to go through this like compliance process um, and be able to like provide this to each customer that like asks for it. Um, gotcha. And so that costs at least like $150,000. And I didn't really want to no pay that way. out of pocket with an... Um, you know, without like VC, yeah. develop an MVP and then have, you know, have to pay $150,000 out of pocket just, just for that. Like that's a pretty big expense out yeah. of pocket, especially without, um, raising money. And that's so, a huge barrier to entry yeah, for new players. I, yeah. Jeez. Yeah. It's a very, yeah, it's, it's big. And, um, there are people, I think that, I think you can find an auditor, like you could probably give like equity to and pay them a lot less. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, with that, it was just kind of like a turnoff and, um, then my co-founder day he was talking about getting back into the mattress industry the mattress space um yeah and so um i jumped over to that and i was also very intrigued by you know like consumer goods so i thought yeah. that would be and a cool thing sleep to is such well. a cool thing to go after too like i feel like that is is such an amazing industry. industry yeah 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 so hopped over to that i still think the breaches product the idea there is pretty cool um, if someone can like, I can see the, the, the gears turning in your head still, like, as you're talking about it. I know. It. I still love it. Yeah. I it's know. A, I still, it's like, I still product. love the idea and I don't think it's a bad idea. It's just like, you know, maybe someday. Yeah. Would you, would you consider knows? selling or handing off that, that email list of, or wait list of, of companies, uh, to somebody who wanted to take a stab at breach lists? 
yeah i mean i'd still be interested in like being involved with it somewhat mm. but it's just the like do you want to raise like venture capital it's just like a whole nother completely different than you know just a good yeah a well there you go if any of you other hackers out there are interested in an <laughs> entrepreneurial opportunity i i i love the product i think it would be really i think it's a really good fit you know having a an email banner mm. having some sort of add-on for g suite or from for outlook yep. and and you know, yeah. scanning. And who knows? Microsoft might just have this in theirs now. With with, with GPT four, they'll be able to do that too. Yeah. Well, that, that's the other thing is that I feel like maybe my timelines are a little off. But did you launch this before ChatGPT blew up? I think it was. I think it was about. About. I think it was. About. Yeah. Or at least it was, it was bef- very early. Just before COVID. Yeah. It was really early. I. I don't. I. It was before ChatGPT was released. Yeah. And, and so that that's. Man, they had GPT three, yeah, on uh, the API for that, and that was it. That was a great like timing a of the market, I think. You know, like it, it, you know, that before that whole thing blew up, you know, you had already yeah. launched this, and and so yeah, yeah, man, I, I'm I've still got I've still got high hopes for it. I would love to see it at some point um, <laughs> pop up. So definitely let me know if you're if you're getting back into it again, because I think that'd be mm-hmm. really I, I think that'd be a really cool. Um, thing to be involved with and also you know I hope you find someone in the industry who's got the bandwidth to take it on because uh, I, I would love to use it in an organization yeah um, all right I, I guess the, the other question that I have is like what what um what sort of hacker entrepreneurial takeaways did you did you have from that experience of pivoting like did you was that a hard move for you to pivot away from it I, I could see a little bit of uh, uh, cognitive dissonance i think in in your eyes yeah Yeah, i mean um it wasn't it's different because like it's still i still like the idea Mm -hmm. but i'm also like i don't know where it i still like i'm still optimistic but i'm like pessimistic in other ways Mm. because like yeah the cybersecurity field is like extremely saturated from where it used to be. Um, but at the same time, I like the idea a lot and I think it could be very helpful, but then I'm also like pessimistic about like, okay, why can't Microsoft just add that? Yeah. Which I think they very well could now, now I think they probably their integration. Will. I think with all their integrations is okay. It's probably a good thing. I did step away from it, but mm. you know, um, there's definitely market risk there. I, I think you know oh, huge, because yeah. you could easily get replaced by a big player, um, or yeah, exactly, you could get acquired by a big player. You know, that's the other thing. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so, for someone who wants like a quick, quick integration. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I, I'm not like, I guess, worried about it. It didn't. It was actually relatively easy for me to to pivot, jump away. Mm-hmm. It, it was. Um, First, it was like it's a little, a little sad because I liked the idea. Yeah. But at the same time, I was like I had all these other kind of like had some doubts, um, but yeah, yeah, I knew it's where I needed to go next, and I guess I had to just trust my gut on that. Yeah, for sure, man. Well, I, I'm glad to see that you, you know, were able to successfully assess the the difficulties of that specific challenge and pivot, and I'm excited to see where Boring Mattress Co is headed do you do you have any any update on that last i heard you you got your prototype out to the house yes it's super comfy i've been sleeping on it for a while now yeah i love it it's super super so i mean are you going to make a lot more are you going to make much modification to that mattress or are you guys going to just move forward with it um 
not to the mattress itself. Mm-hmm. I think we're still um, iterating on the covers. So that's like the outside of it. That's like um, you have like all your foam. There's like fire sock on it. Mm. Um, and then the cover is like the the outside, like the aesthetic. Mm. We're still figuring out that. Um, that piece but, of it. Gotcha. Yeah, we're not going to take any. Yeah. I, I, I think. Um, the outmost piece. Let me, let me just let me just go ahead and, and add my, my two cents to the mattress uh, industry here. I, I got these bed sheets and, and this is bed sheets so it's a different different arena but who knows mm-hmm. maybe you could do a package deal or something no we, we will probably yeah. at some point and yeah. so i've got these bed sheets and for one there's like this these bamboo bed sheets that are just super mm-hmm. like cool and a cool meaning like you know not like the opposite of hot not like cool as in yes, amazing not like yeah they're very sick. cool you know <laughs> like and they're yeah. awesome and i love them and it really helps me sleep better but also they have this little pocket on the side of the bed. Uh, it's built into, you know, the side of the mattress, the fitted sheet or, or um, the fitted sheet for the, that goes on the mattress. And it's a perfect size to like put your phone in. And it's just like oh, such nice. a nice little thing. You know, you're in bed, you got your phone <laughs> and then you just slide it right into this yeah, pocket. Yeah, next. Huh. So Never anyway, there, there's your little tidbit, That's you funny. know, cut me in whenever That's you make really millions cool. off of that. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, we'll be good. Um, cool. Well, Dude, thanks for coming on to the pod. I, I tried to, you know, uh, dedicate this last section to the boring mattress company. Uh, but um, <laughs> you got any other shout outs you wanna you wanna make? Not really. Solid. Shout out to everyone hacking out there. <laughs> yeah. Well, you can find Corbin at uh, you know twitter.com slash hacker underscore and then uh, boring mattress company is twitter.com slash boring mattress, which somehow you got. That's awesome. Uh, that's because no one in that industry is going to admit that mattresses are boring. Yeah, that's or true. They, they've got it. That's yeah. also why I like the brand. That's a great mark. Yeah. And I, I love yeah. the copy as well on the, on the description for the, for your Twitter page. So I'll, I'll let, uh, I won't even read it out loud. I'll just say for those listening, yeah, go, yeah, go to the page, follow the account and read the, the description. Cause it's, a, I think it's a great example of, of engaging copy. So, all right, man. Well, thanks for coming on. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. That's the pod. Whew, that was a great episode with Corbin. Uh, always love having him on the pod. If you enjoyed this content, please head over to youtube.com slash at critical thinking podcast. Drop a like and subscribe. And also don't forget to stay engaged on your podcast app of choice via subscribing or following or whatever it is you do. The podcast round was a little weird, so just I'm sure you'll figure it out. Thanks. See y'all next week.